Welcome to the OTP. This is OTP 8. My name is Mike Keith. Amy Wells is sitting straight across from me. Hello. 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 Welcome. Thank you. We have lots to discuss because there is football news. Yes. There is football news. That is correct. It wouldn't be there are football news. No. There There is is football football news. news. Okay. So there is football news. Schedule came out. Yes. Thursday night schedule comes out. Amy Wells, first three thoughts from you on the 2018 Tennessee Titans football schedule. All right. Thought number one. One. The thing that jumped out at me the most was the amount of primetime games this team has. Two Monday night games against the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans. Thursday night game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, of course. And then potentially, who knows what will happen December 22nd or 23rd, but we're looking at Three primetime games. Well, that's the Washington weekend. Yes. So three, maybe four primetime games, which I find exciting. Well, and the, you could be flexed, too. Exactly. But, I mean, we're already starting at a place that is different than I've ever experienced in my time with the Titans. Okay. That's number one. No, that's number one. Number two, love having a middle-of-the-season bye week. That might be the first thing that I look at every year when the schedule comes out is where that buy is placed. I love that it's in the middle of the season. I love, obviously, that it's right after we went overseas. Um, I I think it's a great time for guys to rest, recharge, and then power through the months of November and December. So I like that. Good. Um, The third thing that I noticed, and I mentioned this to you, Mike, is there are a lot of different time slots than we normally see. So we have a couple three- o'clock hour games. We have obviously a lot of noon games. We have those primetime games. Um, and then in America, the <laughs> London game will be at 8.30 in the morning, not necessarily overseas. But there's some different things there, which it's very easy to get into a routine and kind of get into the groove of having a noon game all the time. So there's going to be a little, little bit of a change up this year, which I think is going to be interesting. So those were my three things your that three stuck things. out at me. What were your three things? Uh, November might be one of the most difficult months in franchise history. Uh, at Dallas for Monday Night Football, home with uh, a day short to play the New England Patriots. On to Indianapolis, where the Titans won last year, but no, don't historically play that well. And then at Houston on Monday Night Football. So three road games. Two Monday night games, both on the road, and your only home game is New England. Great. Yeah, that, and then follow that up with you've got the Jets and then Thursday night football against Jacksonville. I think the good news about that for the Titans is that they don't have to travel. Right. They play the Jets on Sunday at Nissan Stadium and then get to stay home. I think Thursday night when you don't have to travel is always a huge advantage. So that's number two for me. The other thing is back-to-back division games twice in this schedule. September, the 16th, Houston, the 23rd at Jacksonville, and then back to that November swing, November 18th at Indianapolis, November 26th at Houston. So some big back-to-back weeks for the Titans. It is a more challenging schedule than a year ago, I think. 
I felt like it would be based on the opponents, but I think it certainly is based on how it stacks up with what you're talking about, and that is the London game added in and the fact that you have three primetime games. But you know what? If you're going to do something in this league, this is the type of schedule you want to play because that means you're more successful. So the whole thing about, well, every game's not at noon. Well, okay, fine. Yep. Tough break. Yep. You're a professional. Yep. I, I mean, the guys don't generally complain about it. Yeah. People like us complain. I told you I'm concerned about my sleep schedule this year. I'm worried <laughs> about it. So I'm talking to you when I say don't whine. <laughs> yeah, keep it together. Kid. Keep it together. <laughs> All right, so the, the schedule's out. And schedule day is one of the most underrated days in the National Football League, especially if you work in an NFL office, because it determines not only who you're going to play and what your fall's going to look like, but it determines everything about your life. Oh, absolutely. In that period of time. Oh, there are so many things that I've kind of had on hold until this day, because I don't know when anything's going to happen. You know, your entire life revolves around this schedule right now. So for us... This is a huge day. This gets us through the end of 2018 now. But I wanted to ask you a question. We have obviously known about our opponents for months now. We've known who these people were going to be. We knew that it was going to be a tougher schedule. I think that once you actually get them on the schedule and see how everything's going to be stacked up, sometimes the schedule looks easier and sometimes it looks harder even though it's all the same people, just depending on where they're put. Do you agree with that? I do. And in some years, like last year, I thought it was very fair. And I think this is fair. I don't think it's an unfair schedule. But when I looked at it, I thought, okay, you've got this, you've got this. You know, one thing that you you always look at is who do you catch after you play a Monday night game? Well, we catch New England with one less day to prepare for the Patriots. That's not fabulous. Um we get the Jets after playing Monday night against Houston. One less day to prepare for the Jets. Yeah. Uh, not crazy about playing the Jaguars on Thursday night in December. I'm not either. Now I'm whining, aren't I? I'm not whining. I kind of am. No, well, okay, just then. But we do, do kind of analyze. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line with all of this. And you, you do kind of stack it up. Not crazy about the opener in Miami. Oh, gosh. It's going to be 900 degrees. Humidity central. Humidity central. Don't do your hair that day, Mike. And the Titans. (laughs) Don't do my hair. (laughs) The Titans historically don't play fabulously at Miami either. Even when they won two years ago, it was, and they ran for like 600 yards and were so much better than the Dolphins that day, they still didn't play just great football. They kept the Dolphins in the game for too long. So right. maybe that'll change. Maybe because Mike Vrabel's used to winning in Miami. That's true. In his career, he won in Miami. So maybe that's a good thing. If we're going to continue whining about things, Jacksonville in September is also going to be hot and humid. We've got all the Florida games in September. Ooh, that's but Buffalo, But Buffalo in October – is better than Buffalo. Yay. Any other time. We do get the Giants on December 16th, which means you'll be able to take the train into the city at Christmas time. Oh, that's so Isn't nice. That's nice. That is nice. That's nice. I'm okay See with See the this tree schedule. go skating at Rockefeller Center? Gosh, that sounds just magical. It'll be it? magical. <laughs> All right, Mike, before we get to any of 
this schedule actually happening. Yes. We've got to get through some bigger things. How about the draft? How about the draft? Oh, That's I'm where so, I was I'm going. I'm so ready for the draft. Uh, I'm so I'm so tired of waiting uh-huh. for the draft because once the season ends, the draft consumes me. Well, I have said very publicly that I love the pre-draft process. I love it. I love the combine. I love all the visits and doing all the pro days and the workouts. Yeah, the senior bowl too. Love it all. I really, really do. But now I'm ready. Well, it's time. We're in the home stretch. I want to know who these players are going to be. I want to start seeing them on the field. I want to get going. But we are days away so I feel like we should maybe break it down. Let's do it. Break it down. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that? I was, it, was, it was interesting. So, Mike, what thoughts do you have about, the, about draft? the draft? I think it's the least predictable situation the Titans have been in forever. When people ask me what the Titans, what, what are the Titans going to do, of course, what they're talking about is the first round. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever asks you, what are the Titans going to do in the fifth round? They when they say, what, shame. what are the Titans going to do, they always say the same thing, you know, oh, we know you know. Well, trust me, I don't know. No clue. The last person they tell in the building is the broadcaster. <laughs> the other reason we don't know is the Titans are going to pick 25th for the first time in franchise history. If they don't trade the pick, it's really wild. 59th draft in franchise history, Titans have never picked 25th in the first round. So if they stay there, this will be a first. But, Amy, nobody has any clue what happens at number 25 based on what's going to go on around you. You can't know. Mm-mm. Because you have some guys who are being projected right now as number 10. And then you see them projected other places, they barely go in the second round. Right. So are they number 10 or are they number 60? Who knows? Well, there are a lot of guys like that. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick is going pretty early. Roquan yep. Smith is going pretty early. Saquon Barkley is going really early. But then there are all these guys that are sort of, well, you think so. And what you don't know right now and what the analysts have no clue about is how these guys rate on people's boards. Yep. They also don't know the medical They don't know a lot of the personal background that the teams have. Trust me, the teams know everything. Oh, yeah. It's the time of year where everyone's a spy all the time. But the teams know. And when when you follow the draft, whether you listen to it on Titans Radio or you watch it on any of the nine networks that are carrying it. (laughs) (laughs) I was stunned when PBS decided to carry the draft. Pick it up. Yeah, that was so great. Uh, But realistically... They don't know all of the background information. The other thing, too, is they don't know other things about the team. It's like if you're Team X and Smith is your tight end and you know Smith has a knee problem and he's probably only going to make it one more year, Mm -hmm. and then your pick comes around and you select a tight end and everybody on the stage doing the coverage goes, why are they picking a tight end? I, they, they have Smith. Why would they do this? Well, it's because they know Smith's not going to make it, or they know they're fighting with Smith's agent about him taking a pay cut right now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Because they want, so there are all these little things that sort of factor in that make it unpredictable, particularly when you get to number 25. Well, and from the Titans' perspective, we know this general manager is not afraid of anything. Right. So you know going into it, we could stay at 25, we could trade up, we could trade out of the first round, right. we could trade down. He's he, made 10 trades yeah. since he's been the GM. He, uh, he has no fear when it comes to things like that. And so from where we're sitting right now, could we get a great player at 25? Absolutely. Sure. Could we get a great player at 38? Of course we could. Could we get a great player at 15? Sure. Yes. Like there are so many different options and he is so well dialed in. He has so much respect around the league. He obviously has a history of making these deals before anything is possible. That's right. So while, yeah, we can sit and we can talk about these players and what we think is going to happen, he's the only guy that really knows what's going to happen. He knows what conversations he's had. He knows what's out there in terms of the wheeling and dealing business part of it. Everything, uh, and that's what matters, right. I think. I agree. Mm-hmm. And looking at the numbers of it, you see that the, the Titans have six picks. They don't have a seventh. They would have had number 243 in the seventh round, but they traded that to Kansas City last year for David King. So they have 25, 57, which is a second-round pick, 89, third-round pick, 125, that's the fourth-round pick, then 162 in the fifth, and then their final scheduled pick at number 199. I predict that we will end up picking more in the sixth and seventh rounds. We're going to end up with a lot of later picks. Okay. I don't know how, and I well, don't you know, know how where to, he's well, going to trade. Yes, <laughs> but I just I just have a feeling, looking at this right now, I'd say, those numbers are going to be different. I'd say you're pretty you're pretty smart there. Mm-hmm. I, I think knowing John, John Robinson's going to do something when he didn't trade picks five and eighteen last year in the first round, either one of them or both of them, people were dumbfounded not the least of which are the people that work with him every day, and that's us. Right. We thought he was going to deal, but he, he did the stick and pick and ended up with two really good football players in Corey Davis and Adoree Jackson. All right, Mike, let's run through a few things here. Good. All right, are there teams that do not have a pick on day two? Seattle and Philadelphia, both those teams do not have a pick on day two. Who has the first pick of the draft in day three? It's Green Bay at number 101, and that's always a very important pick because that gives them a chance to set the entire day. So once they've reset their board through the first two days of the draft, they go into day three knowing that they have the very first pick. A lot of times you get great offers for those picks because somebody is dying to get there for a player who's still left on the board. So who has the final pick of the draft? <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant at 256. The Atlanta Falcons are currently at 256. So if the Titans wanted to trade into the top 10 of this draft, what do you think it would take? Titans really don't have the firepower in this draft to trade into the top 10. So I think it would take, unless somebody was just desperate to get out, I think it would take a high pick or picks from 2019 which would be a a very big price for this team to pay unless they were desperate for a specific player. So it's unlikely. Would seem like that, It doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen. If the Titans wanted to trade up a few spots 
what would they have to give up? Then? That's more likely. Uh, if you're going up a spot or two, you might just flip-flop spots in other rounds with people or give them a, a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick next year. If you're wanting to go up three to five spots, it's probably going to cost you your number four pick somewhere in there. Um, you know, it, not, not too bad a price if you want to jump up. So give me an example of how that would work. Well, let's take Seattle at number 18. We just mentioned a couple minutes ago Seattle has no second-round pick, no third-round pick. Might be able to offer Seattle a, a third-round pick and a future later pick uh, and, and be able to move up seven spots to grab that player. Because here's what's going to happen. There's going to be somebody that most people think is top 10-ish that ends up falling down outside of 15 towards 20. Maybe that's your guy. Maybe you do want to go up and grab that player. You know, for a team that, that is not going to pick from 18 until 120, they're going to go 102 picks without a selection, then suddenly that is a situation where they say, you know, we may take a three from you, so we have something on day two. Maybe we take a five or a six later on or, or something even next year. That's completely doable if that really talented player starts to fall because on your chart, you may think he's a top 10 value and you could get him, say, at number 18. That's just an example of how it might work. So if the Titans wanted to trade out of the first round, what do you think they could get? So say they traded down with Cleveland for yeah. the first pick of the second round. It'd be the first time since 2004 the Titans have not had a first-round pick if that happens. But if they were to flip, let's say, from 25 to 33 – the Titans then could say to Cleveland, we'll flip our third-round pick at 89 for your final second-round pick at 64. So they would move up 25 spots to drop back eight spots up front. They'd move up 25 spots and then probably get a fifth or sixth-round pick from Cleveland as well. Those are the sorts of terms you'd be looking at at this point. If the Titans want to deal back and sort of be able to grab two really good second-round players or two third-round players, whatever you want to say, then that's, that's exactly how they would do it. It would not be very complicated. You want to do some first-round questions? Sure. All right. Does Cleveland end up with a quarterback and a running back? Uh, only if they take Saquon Barkley first. If they take Saquon Barkley first, I think they'll end up with a running back, and then they could take their quarterback at number four. If they don't take Saquon Barkley first, I think he's going to the New York Giants. I don't think Dave Gettleman is going to pass him up. Does Buffalo trade up into the top five to get a quarterback? They can easily if they want to. They have 12 and 22. They have two second-round picks. They have the, the first pick of the third round. Uh, they could package all of that together. Say the Giants. Mm -hmm. If they package 12, 22, 53, and 65 to go up to number two, then they could easily do it. So they have the firepower to get there, and it would leave the Giants with seven picks between 12 and 69. Whoa. So it might be something they want to do. Would not surprise me if Buffalo makes a deal with the Giants or with Denver. Indianapolis, sixth overall pick, three second-round picks. What do you think they're taking? Defense, defense, defense. They need a pass rusher. They need defensive line. They need cornerback. They need linebacker. And they certainly need a wide receiver as well. So we're sitting here talking about all of these other teams. We have no clue what the Titans are going to do. That's right. Is pretty much what I'm gathering. No clue. <laughs> and no clue is an advantage to John Robinson, who we mentioned has made 10 
total trades in the, in the process of being the Titans general manager now for 27 months. So I, I think it's really exciting to see what he's going to do. And from all of the different mocks, I think we have seen quite, quite obviously that nobody really has a handle on what the GM's going to do. I think it makes it a lot more fun, though. It is. It's way more exciting going into it's it, fun. not knowing what's going to happen. It's fun preparing. And speaking, speaking of preparing, yes. let's talk about national people preparing and somebody we had a chance to visit with. I mean, you're going to see ESPN. You're going to see NFL Network. You're going to see people across the board who are working to cover this draft on television. And one of my favorites forever has been Susie Culper. Yep. Susie Culper with ESPN has been a rock for them and has been something extra special for a long, long time. Were you always a Susie Culper fan? Always. For as long as I have been watching ESPN and sports, I have been a fan of Susie Culper. Just forever, it feels like. I can't remember a time when I wasn't a fan of Susie Culper. So having the opportunity to meet her and talk to her was just the coolest thing. She was cool enough to take time with us a few weeks ago to talk about her preparation and talk about how she approaches her job now and what has been over a quarter century well, working on the major stage of, of ESPN and what she's been able to do. Here's that conversation on the OTP. Susie, how long have you been with ESPN officially? Oh my gosh. <laughs> A uh, hundred years, I think, is the official <laughs> number. But I, I started with the launch of ESPN2, which I believe is 1993. And I had just a brief stint at Fox, Fox Sports, and then came back and have been back at ESPN since 1999. I feel like every time I turn on the TV, you are there, you're covering something. Is there anything that you don't cover? Well, throughout the course of my career, I think I covered just about everything, but at the heart of all of it, since I was a little kid, was the NFL. So pretty much now, that's the main focus, which in today's world and, and the flood of information and, of course, the NFL being a year-round entity, it's kind of fun and it's kind of nice to be focused on one thing that just happens to be perhaps my most favorite thing to cover since I was a little kid. You're a Philadelphia native. Yes. So can you describe to the people listening to this right now. Philly championships, Sixer championships, what does an Eagle championship mean to Philadelphia compared to everything else? Uh, the biggest thing ever. You know, as a little kid growing up, I was there. I was there for the Sixers championships and the Phillies and going way, way back, the Philadelphia Flyers. But for Philadelphia Eagles fans, I mean, all I can tell you that my parents were going absolutely crazy that day. Everyone kept asking me if I was going to go back there for the parade. I didn't, but I was really happily that afternoon, like planted on the couch in my house in Connecticut watching along with everybody else. You've covered a lot of great events. What are some of your top events, some of your top moments? Probably the Super Bowl. Actually being able to be on the sideline for the Super Bowl. It was Seattle and Pittsburgh, and I was on the sideline for the Seahawks. And a lot of things about the game just sort of fell my way, just in terms of access.
success. Mike Holmgren was the head coach. He allowed me to be in the tunnel with the team before they ran out. So even my report pre-kick was like this up to the last second kind of thing. And then even just my sideline reports, and it was John Madden was in the booth. It was such a cool thing and to be down on the field with the confetti falling. Yeah, I will probably have that in my heart as one of my greatest moments. That was my Super Bowl. There's so much preparation that goes into a Super Bowl or an event like the Combine. What do you do specifically to get ready for an event? It's People would just never believe it. Just the, the hours, and, and I'm a kind of an old-fashioned geek with the notebook, with all the tabs. And for this part of the year, I kind of start with the Senior Bowl, watching that. And then this is, for me, I'm... I'm in my room in Indy just watching, you know, player by player, and this is where I kind of start to build my notes and learn who these guys are. And then for the draft for a number of years now, I've been lucky enough to be at the site of the draft. Which this year will be in Arlington, and I'm one of the first people, uh, along with Deion Sanders, to interview a player as soon as they are picked, and now they are in the National Football League. Watching lives change in that green room has always been one of the most favorite things that I do. But it's it's hours and hours of preparation, which I love. It really is a labor of love, getting to know all of these guys. And then when you watch them get picked, it means that much more. Gets a little emotional. It does get emotional. <laughs> uh, I cry at everything anyway. But as I watch just the, their lives and, and their families' lives change, I cry right along with them. And, and it's just part of... of Doing all the background work is what, for me, really makes that connection and makes it so much more meaningful because when you see that emotion, you understand where it's coming from. And what's cool, too, is a lot of, of the moments that are forged there, those are those transformational moments in somebody's life. And a lot of guys, even going back to Aaron Rodgers, who, who waited and waited and waited. Like, we've always had a connection because of that. Like, you're there in that moment, and these guys remember you from that moment where I came into the league. And then, you know, it's the building block for the foundation and knowing these guys through the rest of their career. Everybody says that knows you, that has worked with you, that your biggest skill is your connection to people and the fact that people will talk to you. Where does that rank on your list of things that have made you successful? I think that, that that's really the heart of everything. And you know, like even being at an event like this, like they see you're kind of here, you're the road warrior, you're out here with us. And that's what I've loved so much about being on the sideline for so long, a Monday night football, or now hosting a pregame show on Monday night, because I'm not just in the studio, I'm there. So I'm there at the meetings, I'm there face-to-face -face with the coaches and with the players and that's how you 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 know you build up the credibility and respect factor for all of these years and it's and it's really getting to know them you know through all those these years and like anything else everything's a relationship business and and being on the road the joy of it is seeing all these people that you know for all of these years and and it all comes down to you know preparation and respect respecting them and and getting your facts right and the trust develops and you know like that's what it's all about but people notice when you're there you're on the grind along with them there's a respect that goes with that right you know what like i would never i don't understand this at the super bowl as a host i don't necessarily have to be at you know all of the different media functions where players and coaches are available but 
why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, so that's kind of, you know, that's building a reputation that I'm there because to me, unless you're talking to someone in person and taking your direct quotes from them or speaking to them on the phone, unless you're actually there doing it, how else do you get the real information? Like, to me, that's at the heart of everything, right. you know. You actually did my radio show in 1993. You were promoting the deuce, the, the, open, the opening of ESPN2, and to think that you're here 25 years later doing more, still at the pinnacle, for somebody to last. I mean, that sort of work ethic and that connection coming from there to here, that really is the difference. But I think that isn't that kind of what it's all about. I guess you is have it, to. Is it still, though, for some people? Yeah, but to me, that's, I would hope that's why you're interviewing me, because there's there's a difference, and I've lasted so long because something sets you apart. And this is a tough business, and a tough business for women in general. So to have established, uh, maybe it's something I'm most proud of, is, is longevity in this crazy, competitive, and sometimes cruel business, to still be, you know, like climbing the ladder and being a part of it. So, you know, something I'm very proud of. You love the game anyway. You really like the nerdy kind of football parts of it. It gives you an excuse to geek out about something that you like anyway, right? No, you're exactly right. And, you know, it was um, it was a thrill to see John Gruden here, you know, and we're going to miss him so much. And that's kind of like a, a bond that he and I always have is, like, you just know the people who just genuinely love it, you know. What would you be doing anyway? You'd be watching football. or So then to have the opportunity, which I have never taken for granted, that in our production meetings before games, you get this golden time just hanging out in a room with all the top players on the team, the coaches, and you get that one-on-one time, and you, you know them as, I would say, as friends, some of them. I've never taken that for granted, and and I don't think there's ever been a time where I'm at a game where I don't just truly enjoy it. And, you know, all the years on the sideline, too, to have that view from the line of scrimmage, yeah, it doesn't get old. It's something special all the time. It's always, you know, every, you never know. It's always different and always exciting. And, you know, going back to the beginning, professional athletes say it's hard to replace you know that adrenaline that feeling and if you grew up as an athlete and I was always an athlete and loved the competition it's hard to replace that adrenaline flow but live television is a big time adrenaline flow and then mixing that with a sport that you love that's the greatest you know that's the greatest combination and there is no way it's ever going to be boring and how many people can say that about their job after all of these years, it never gets boring. I want to ask you too, Amy Wells is standing here interviewing you. You go to any NFL event, there are so many more women around covering it than were when I started over 20 years ago in the league. You're a trailblazer in that. How does that make you feel? Because you know you're part of it. Right, and, and I, uh, until people bring it up, it's not really something I'm necessarily thinking about, but I do recognize that that when I started there weren't very many women around and I will say too that through the years again if you're not really serious about it and you're 
your motivation isn't in the right place of why you want to do it, you won't last. So it's nice to see lots of women who are still in it, Michelle Tafoya and Lisa Zalders and Andrea Kramer and Pam Oliver, these women who have been around this for a really long time, still doing their thing, and then hopefully blazing the trail in the right way for the women who want to be a part of it. So here's what I wonder. We mentioned you're from Philadelphia. Could you have done it in your mind if you didn't have that Philly girl tough thing (laughs) that you grew up with? There's definitely an edge. There's no doubt about that, you know, which I've always been proud of. I've always been, you know, through the years from the very beginning, it was unusual to see a woman, you know, doing local sports as I was, but I was always my toughest critic. Nobody could have been a tougher critic on me anyway, and I've always been a perfectionist, so nobody could have been asking me to work any harder than I already would have been anyway. And I think it's just because as a kid, I loved the game so much and always felt connected to it. I never felt when I was in the room with all guys, which a lot of times I still am now, never felt out of place, always felt like I was just a part of it. It's always felt natural, and I think that's really been the biggest part. Good stuff from Susie Calber. That was a real thrill to meet her. Oh, my gosh. It was just the coolest thing. I was so excited and, like, low-key really nervous about it, but I tried to be cool. But she was very uh, – she, she put you at ease. Yes. She, she really – I was very nervous to meet her, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, she she was not um, she didn't big time us at all. Oh gosh, no! She stood and talked to us for a really long time mm-hmm. and was just just an absolute delight. It was Until so the much fun. security guards came and took us away, it was <laughs> as pleasant as anything we've had. That didn't happen. Next week we have real football on the OTP because we're going to talk about the voluntary mini camp, which is great. Yes. We're not going to do a podcast on the draft until week after next because the draft won't end until next weekend. Right. So next week we're going to talk football. I'm so excited. Now maybe there'll be something to preview. Maybe John Robinson will have already made a big trade by then. We will just have to wait and see. But we've got a lot of, a lot of football coming up. And you're on the way to Arlington. I am on my way to Arlington. We will be in sunny Texas. And it's going to be great. I've never been to... The big stadium. So you've never be been fun. to Jerry World. I've never been. So this is a fun opportunity for me. Well, good. You'd be your third draft. <laughs> it will be my third and draft. What, what will be interesting to see is will the Titans' number one draft pick be there? Fingers crossed. I really hope that he is. But if not, I'll just meet him when we get back to Nashville. And you'll meet a lot of Titans fans too, because what they're doing for the fans, particularly the Titans season ticket members, is un. Real. Oh, gosh. It's going to be the coolest thing. They're going to have, what is it, 50 people from each team down on the, on the field, right in front of where everything's happening. I'm really, really excited to see what this looks like. And, gosh, what a cool experience for season ticket members. Awesome stuff. A.B. Wells, good job. Thank you. You All too. Right. I'm Mike Keith, and you've been listening to Edition 8 of the OTP.